0: Good morning, friends. Is your church Pentecostal? Now, I don't know what image comes into your mind when you hear the word Pentecostal. My earliest memories were hearing my grandparents talking about holy rollers. And when I asked what that meant, they said, well, they jump all over and fall down and sing boogie-woogie music and jabber like monkeys. Now, if you're not Pentecostal or think you're not, you probably think of a certain church where stuff like that might even happen. And you probably also think that doesn't have much to do with who we worship in a more sedate manner. For that reason, many people are surprised to find out that the word Pentecostal has some pretty deep roots in the Bible. In fact, the biblical term is Pentecost. It's found several places in the New Testament, most notably and most importantly in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, which reads, now when the day of Pentecost had come. Only they didn't call it Pentecost. That's the Greek name. The Jews called it the Feast of Harvest, or the Feast of Weeks. It's mentioned in Exodus 23, Exodus 24, Leviticus 16, uh, Numbers 28, and Deuteronomy 16. It was the celebration of the beginning of the early wheat harvest, sometime during the middle of the month of May or early June. On Pentecost, the high priest took two loaves of freshly baked wheat bread from newly harvested wheat and offered them before the Lord. In short, Pentecost was a great harvest celebration. Acts 2, telling us that what happened on the day of Pentecost is a fulfillment of what the Old Testament harvest celebration was all about. In other words, the wheat harvest was the foreshadowing of the events of Acts 2, which means Acts 2 is the most important chapter in Acts, and that what happens here simply cannot be overestimated in terms of its importance for the church of Jesus, and for you, and for me. I'm suggesting that the true Pentecostal church is not necessarily the church with the name Pentecostal. The true Pentecostal church is the one which reflects the marks of the church which was born that day and is powered by the same Holy Spirit who arrived on the day of Pentecost. So today I ask, what are the marks of a truly Pentecostal church? Well, first of all, the truly Pentecostal church is a united church. Acts 2 verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost had been fulfilled, they were all together in one place. Luke uses a word which means to be of unanimous purpose. It was his favorite word to describe the early church. It means to have your hearts and minds joined together. The King James Version says they were all together in one accord, which, by the way, does not mean they rode around in a Honda We're being told that the first mark of the Pentecostal church is unity, physical unity, spiritual, emotional, doctrinal unity. With one accord means that they were all hitting the same notes, singing the same tune. Luke explains it this way a little bit further in chapter 2, verses 44 to 46. And the believers were together and had all things in common, selling their possessions and their goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is a wonderful picture of what the early church was like. They were together so much that they even sold their possessions, brought the money, and put it together. That's pretty amazing. But did you notice what else they did? Well, in the early church, the mark of their unity was they ate together. Maybe that's where we get the idea of potlucks. I mean, sometimes we like to joke that if you want to get a group out, you have to have pie and coffee or donuts. Well, verse 47 shows what happens when the people of God live this way. The Lord was adding to their number, day by day, people who were being saved. And when people of that day looked at them, they were amazed and astounded. Now, shouldn't we have that unity as well? I mean, the church should be a place where Democrats and Republicans, progressives and conservatives, rich and poor, black, white, yellow, reds can come together. That would be a place where cowboys and accountants and left and right brain people and people who like Beethoven can get together with people who like Chris Tomlin. I mean, the church ought to be a place where all God's children can come together. It's a church where people do not lose their uniqueness or their individuality. Instead, by the Holy Spirit's power, they're joined together in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. And that's the first mark of a Pentecostal church. Second, the truly Pentecostal church is a praying church. Acts 1.14 says that they all joined together constantly in prayer. They being the apostles, plus the women, plus Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. This prayer meeting comes after the ascension and before the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They prayed together for ten days, and it was out of that prayer meeting that unity came. And that, of course, is the point. The glue of the church is not its pastor, its programs, its building, or its doctrine. The real glue that makes a church stick together is united prayer. The prayer was born, or the church was born in a prayer meeting, and those who study great spiritual awakenings tell us that all of them have been preceded by times of united prayer. It's a good sign in any church when believers make prayer a priority. And third, a truly Pentecostal church is a spirit-filled church. This is the part we all know. It's in verse 4, which says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And the word them refers not just to the apostles, but to all the disciples who were there. Now, here's the secret of the power of the early church. They, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, it's so easy to go to extremes on this one. It's easy to get all wrapped up in the outward signs. It's also easy to ignore the Holy Spirit altogether. One extreme is to look at the spectacular phenomena that happened that day and to focus on the sound of the rushing wind, the tongues of fire, and the speaking in tongues. And some people, you know, they've even built an entire theology about those things. But just as dangerous is ignoring the work of the Holy Spirit that day. I know many people who come to some churches because they fear certain strange things that happen in other churches. They think if they come to the cross, they'll be safe. But in doing so, they ignore and downplay the work of the Holy Spirit. And What a, what a tragic mistake. I think when we come to a passage like Acts 2, we must make a clear distinction between the signs and the event. The event was the descent of the Holy Spirit to the earth to enter the lives of men and women. The signs are God's way of announcing the momentous event. They're a means to an end, but they are not the end itself. Now, three unusual things happened on the day of Pentecost. Rushing wind, tongues of fire, and speaking in tongues. And those are rightly seen as signs. But friends, if you only focus on the signs, you miss the whole point. The coming of the Holy Spirit. That was the point. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit that transformed Peter the denier into Peter the preacher. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit that took Thomas the doubter and turned him into Thomas the missionary. It was the coming of God's mighty Holy Spirit which took those cowardly, fearful, doubting, hesitant disciples and made them flaming evangelists for Jesus who were ready to lay down their lives for him. It was the work of the Holy Spirit coming into ordinary men and women who transformed them from ordinary men and women into evangelists for Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, are you sure that's what this passage is talking about? And the answer is yes. Just look at verse 16. Peter is preaching and he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So what follows is the first great sermon. But the first phrase is the key. He's saying, don't you understand? Joel is talking about this day. This is the day in which the Holy Spirit would come down and mighty things would happen. Peter's saying, this is it, folks. This is the age of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, God sent rain from heaven to bring the wheat harvest. In the New Testament, God sends the Holy Spirit from heaven to bring in the human harvest. That's the biblical significance of Pentecost. It has been said and reported by church growth experts that in the fastest growing areas of Christianity, that would be China and Africa, Two characteristics are held in common. One, they put a great emphasis on prayer, and two, they put a great emphasis on the Holy Spirit. That shouldn't surprise us because wherever you see revival, you see truly Spirit filled churches. And that raises a, another point. How do you get Spirit filled churches? Well, it's actually pretty easy. You fill them up with Spirit filled Christians. Now, how do you get a Spirit filled Christian? Well, I don't have any magic formula, but it's my experience that when you get hungry for the genuine work of God in your life, you will be filled with His Spirit, and He will empower you to serve Him. Our greatest need today, I think, is to know how great our need really is. People who have no need of the Holy Spirit will find a way to live without Him, and people who are hungry for His reality will be filled. So I commend you to Personally, and I recommend to your church, not just a study of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but also a determined seeking to know his infilling. The fourth, the truly Pentecostal church, is a gospel preaching church. Notice how Luke puts this in verse 11. The disciples were proclaiming the wonders of God. And in verse 22, Peter begins to preach that first great gospel sermon, at the end of which 3,000 people were saved and baptized. Now, here's the great question. What happens in your life when the Holy Spirit takes control? Will you speak in tongues? Will you be healed? Well, The New Testament suggests several answers to that question, but one answer stands out above all the rest. It is the great evidence that you have truly been filled with the Holy Spirit. When you are truly filled with the Spirit, you will have boldness to preach the gospel. Acts 4.31 says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's a pattern you find repeated throughout the book of Acts. As the believers are filled with the Spirit, they begin to share Jesus openly. As one of my inmate friends from Angola says, when the Holy Spirit fills your life, he also opens your mouth. Friends, God fills you with the Holy Spirit so that you will open your mouth and say a good word for him. The Holy Spirit gives holy boldness so that God's holy people will take the holy word of God and speak it boldly to an unholy generation. Fifth, the Pentecostal church is a harvesting church. Acts 2, 9-11 are verses you probably skip when you read this. Uh, They tell us who showed up in Jerusalem on Pentecost. The Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia Phrygia and Pamphylia Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene visitors from Rome both Jews and converts Cretans and Arabs we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues Now Luke kind of makes a circular list starting from the east and going north then west then southwest then southeast He shows us that people were in Jerusalem from everywhere why well because Pentecost was a pilgrim feast People came from everywhere. And what happens in Acts 2 is not a coincidence. It happened for a purpose. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Well, verse 41 says those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. See, on the birthday of the church, 3,000 people joined. Now, how would you like that? A church membership class of 3,000. Then notice verse 47, And the Lord added to their number daily. That's on top of those 3,000, those who were being saved. Now, who were the first missionaries in the Christian church? Well, they were those people I just talked about, the ones you'd skip over in reading, the Parthians and the Medes and so on, those who had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. They were the ones who heard the preaching of the gospel by Peter. They were the 3,000 who got saved, and after they got saved, they went back to all points of the compass, and through them the seeds of Pentecost were sown All over the Roman Empire, and within one generation, the church exploded throughout the Roman Empire. Acts 4, verse 4. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Now, let me bring this all together. Pentecost is not just about the birthday of the church, it's way more than that. It's not just about the descent of the Holy Spirit from heaven, it's way more than that. The day of Pentecost was just the beginning of God's great worldwide harvest. Now, in the beginning, in Acts 2, the church was born during a great worldwide harvest as men came from every nation and were saved under the preaching of Peter. 3,000 in one day. But Revelation 7 tells us the end of the story. At the second coming of Christ, we see this vast assemblage of people from all over the world standing before the throne. So there's a harvest at the beginning, and a harvest at the end. And in between, the church of Jesus is God's harvest vehicle. Friends, you and I, that's who we are. That's why Jesus said, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Do not say there are four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, look around you, the fields are white already unto harvest. You know, maybe instead of uh, calling ourselves Christians, we should call ourselves harvesters, international harvesters. In considering Pentecost, which is the symbol of the union of Jews and Gentiles into the body of Christ, maybe we shouldn't talk about being part of a church. We should talk about being part of a union. Maybe we shouldn't talk about coming to church. Maybe we should talk about going to the union hall. Now, Pentecost really means that you and I are part of—I guess we call it—the greatest union of all time, the Pentecostal Union of International Harvesters. And in this union, there's there's plenty of work. We we come to the union hall to get our instructions. Our discipleship, if you will. We go out into the harvest fields. We even collect union dues. There's plenty of work and the over, all the overtime you can handle. And that, you know, there's never been a layoff in 2,000-plus years. Not much vacation time, but the retirement plan is out of this world. The question is, do you want to go to work? If so, we can put you to work in any one of 7,106 languages in 196 countries. And no matter... What your talent, no matter what your gift, no matter what your ability, there's a place for you in the Pentecostal Union of International Harvesters. You see, friends, that's what it means to be a truly Pentecostal church. We are to be united, praying, spirit filled, gospel preaching, and harvesting everywhere we go. May God help us after 2,000 plus years to become like the church as it was in the beginning. All over the cities where you live, The harvest is plenteous, and the fields are ripe. But where are the harvesters? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a pleasure to meet you in the Word. How good it is to see each other and to pray and to be encouraged. But Lord, right outside the doors of our churches, outside the doors of our home, people die because they do not know you. So Lord, forgive us for our own complacency. Forgive us for our unconcern. We know what we must do. Now give us hearts and minds to do that, we might follow you out into the harvest fields of this world. We pray in the name of Jesus, the Christ, the Lord of the harvest. Amen. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.